The reading today is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more were those who received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in, li- the, in life through the, that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Do keep that passage open. And because we're a family to belong to rather than an event to attend, when things go wrong, it doesn't matter. It's fine. I mean, you wouldn't say in your family, oh, you know, that dinner wasn't quite up to scratch, so I'm out of here. Um, And so when things go wrong, it's fine. We remind ourselves that we're a family rather than a performance. But let's just pray, shall we, that as we come to God's word, it wouldn't just be me speaking and sharing my thoughts, but the living Lord Jesus Christ would be our teacher. Let's pray to him. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you so much that you've promised to be with us as we gather, that you have already presenced yourself among us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that the words that the Holy Spirit has inspired, the words that we just had read to us, are words of life and freedom. So, Lord, please be our teacher this morning. Please overcome my sinfulness and weakness, our sinfulness and weakness. And so work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit that those of us who know you might be rejoicing as we leave this place of our identity in Christ and those of us yet to come to know you might catch a glimpse of your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Well, who or what rules you? Who or what rules you? Our culture encourages us to believe that we are self-ruling, self-creating beings. And this is not just for the philosophy students, uh, many of whom aren't here, but I hope we'll listen to it later. It's in our culture. It's in our pop music. Our eight-year-olds listen to Ariana Grande. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced that right. I'm not even sure what most of her songs are. But she sings these words. He sees the universe when I'm the company. It's all about me. She's saying that her boyfriend, when he sees her, she, he, he sees the universe in her. It's, it's all about her. You'll believe God is a woman, she sings, because she's just so fantastic. Or when we can't get we want what we want, she sings that we can use magic or spiritual power to get it. We manifest it. I don't know if you've come across manifesting. It's a bit of a thing now in younger generations. It's basically magic. If you can't get it, you say a spell, you manifest it, you imagine it, so it will be yours. Because, just like magic, I get everything I want because I attract it. Self-rule. Self-creation. Our culture is telling us that we create ourselves by ruling ourselves, that there's no human nature that we've come from because we're just highly evolved apes. And there's no future to which we're heading because, well, when we die, we rot. What matters is now, here and now, what we feel and which passions we decide to appoint as ruling passions. And so our four-year-olds are being encouraged to socially transition in Church of England primary schools because they rule their bodies with their feelings. And if they feel that they are a girl, they are a girl. And if they feel they are a boy, they are a boy. Our teenagers are facing bewildering, uh, a bewildering array of gender identities. Universities, for those of us who experience the university culture, insist that certain freedoms of expression are right. And any disagreement means you will not be platformed. And what's the orthodoxy? You rule yourself. You decide your identity. And woe betide anybody who disagrees with your chosen identity. Ever since Sigmund Freud, and uh, there's, a, there's a film out, isn't there, about his life, sexual passions are to rule us. Repression is bad for us. We rule ourselves, and not only is God dead, as Nietzsche has proclaimed, any suggestion that we are ruled by God or by the weak Christ is toxic, repressive, enslaving. You know, when I was growing up, you know, the, the blasphemous satanic stuff was slightly off off mainstream, for those of you who remember people like Alice Cooper or Black Sabbath. Now it's mainstream to be blasphemous, to use the name of Jesus Christ as a swear word, as my daughters told me, the likes of Nil, Lil Nas, I don't know if I put that right. 
and his song, J. Christ. Christianity is no longer benign in our culture. It is toxic because its claim is that we are not ruled by ourselves. Now, in such days, we have an amazing opportunity to rediscover the richness of Christian identity, uh, an identity that we've begun to look at. If you're just joining us, very warm welcome to us. It's lovely to see you here. And we're not always talking about Christian identity. We haven't been talking about that for the last four years. We've returned to it as we've returned to the book of Romans. Because Romans chapters 5 to 8 are big on what it means to live out our Christian identity. And it's not an identity based on feelings. It's an identity based on the rule of Jesus Christ. As we saw last week, just a little recap so we get our bearings for those of you who weren't with us. We were looking at the same passage, Romans 12 um, to 21, and we majored on verses 12 to 17. And we saw that in verses 12 to 14, we are original sinners. We are all born in sin, in Adam. And this is great news. Because it means we can be realistic about what is deep down inside ourselves. And when we come across really dark things inside ourselves, we don't think, oh, I must be the only one. No, we are all like this, born in sin. So we can be real. We're all in the same boat. Because we're born in Adam. We've sinned in Adam. We die in Adam. We are condemned in Adam. Not only are we those who sin, we have a sinful nature that is imputed to us, as we'll see a little later on, because Adam is our federal head. But then we also saw last week, didn't we, wonderfully, that the free gift in Jesus Christ is more powerful than sin in Adam. And verse 17, much more, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we are justified. I don't know if there's any slides coming up at some point. If we're trusted in Jesus Christ, we are justified. And that means we are united to one who is more powerful than sin and death and condemnation. The one man, Jesus Christ. Now, three points that we're going to look at this morning. The first is this. Understand the two federal heads of humanity, Adam and Christ. And the reason why Paul is teaching these things is to both unite the Christians in Rome, who are a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, and to equip them to be a gospel community, to take the gospel out to Rome and beyond that to Spain. And he knows that part of the equipping he needs to do for the church is so that they can fight sin in a secure way. And so he teaches three things, particularly in verses 18 to 21, that we need to get our heads around. Now, sorry for those of you who don't like diagrams, so there are some diagrams coming up. Understand the two federal heads of humanity, Adam and Christ. Look with me at verse 18. Therefore, just as one trespass, that's the trespass of Adam, led to condemnation for all men, we are all condemned because we are in Adam, so one act of righteousness, that's the act of Jesus, leads to justification. We are declared to be righteous in God's sight by faith in Christ, and we are given life for all who trust in Christ. See, Paul is saying that Adam is a type of the one to come. If you look at verse 14, Adam and what Adam did was a picture of what Christ and what he will do. 
Adam sinned, he broke a command that led to his condemnation and the condemnation of all his offspring. So we are born sinful. We are born with a nature that is sinful. We are born destined for death. We are born destined for hell, for judgment, for condemnation. And Paul's already argued, because Adam sinned, we sin. If objections are arising in your mind, then do please listen to the sermon from last week where we look at Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism. But here it's just enough to say, it's not just that we all happen to freely decide what Adam decided, that that we all start good uh, with a pure nature and we all just decide to sin. That's not what the Bible teaches. No, we are born with a sinful nature. And so we die like Adam did. And we're condemned like he was. But just as in Adam all die, so in Christ we are justified. We're given life. We were made righteous. Look with me at verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What the diagram is saying is those who are in Adam share Adam's nature and fate. Those in Christ share in Christ's nature and future. We're given God's grace, God's life. We're innocent in God's sight. This is a deeper and more significant binary identity. We are all born in Adam. The question is, have you been born into the new world? Have you eternal life in Jesus Christ? The understanding of this is that we are under the federal headship of Adam and the federal headship of Christ. We are united to Christ. This transforms how we think about ourselves with respect to our sinful nature. When your football team wins, you might say... We won. Sorry for the Ipswich Town supporters amongst us. That's a bit of a disappointment, wasn't it? You had nothing to do with it. Presumably, you weren't actually on the pitch when your team won. Your federal head is the football team, and your identity is linked to what they do. This is the idea of federal headship. It's like we've been transferred from Taunton Town, if you've never heard of it, I'm not sure they're still a football team, but they used to be, Taunton Town. You've been transferred from Taunton Town to Manchester City. You're going to win. Well, you know, I know there's a bit of... You you know what I'm saying. We've been transferred from Nazi Germany to the Allied Forces. What is true of Christ is now true of you if you're a Christian here this morning, because you are united to Jesus Christ. He was victorious over sin, death, condemnation, and Satan. So you will be too. In fact, you are. This is the basis of Christian identity. In fact, Paul is going to go on and say that this is the real us. Not the one defined by sin... I mean, if you're a Christian here this morning and you sin, how often do you think, oh, I've done it again. It's just like me. It's who I am. I just keep messing up. It's not how Paul thinks. It's not how he's 
teaching the Roman church to think so that they could be united together and effective in taking the gospel to the rest of the world. Look at chapter 6, verse 4, which is where we're going next week. We, that's Paul, and all other Christians were buried, therefore, with him by baptism, which is just a picture of becoming a Christian, into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You've already died. You've already been buried. You've already been raised in Christ to live the new life that he has given, that he has united to you. So who or what rules you? If we're not a Christian here this morning, we're still ruled by sin and death and condemnation. We're in Adam. The only solution, as we'll see, is not trying your best to be good. It's to trust in Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And if you think that you're free to do what you like without God, do you realize you're just being like Adam? Take the fruit. You'll be free. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. No. Because we sin, we die. And we're all born that way. It's not saying that there's no difference between being a mass murderer and a relief worker. It's not saying that there's no decisions that we can make that don't have moral responsibility. It's just saying that the, the standard of entry into heaven is the perfection of God. Can you do that? If the answer is no, you need to trust in Christ. See, the real danger in living as Christians and in approaching the Christian faith is that we go back to a law method of being right with God. We think that somehow the good things we do make us in with God and the bad things we do separate us from God, which is true, but not for those who are in Christ. So this leads us on to our second point which will come up on the slide, understand the place of the law. And this is verses 13 and 20 particularly. Paul is going to say a lot more about this in chapter 7. He's going to amplify it. So don't worry if you don't get this first time around. We'll look at this again. But why did God give the law to Moses? Verse 13. First sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So death reigned after the law was given. And then verse 20, now the law came in to deal with sin. Is that what it says? The law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What was the purpose of the law? Was it to deal with sin? No. Because death carried on going even when the law was given. It didn't deal with sin at all. What did it do? It increased law-breaking. It increased trespass. So when the Ten Commandments, is talking about the Mosaic law because it mentions the name of Moses, when the, the commandment comes in, thou shalt not murder, it's not to stop murder. It's to show people how much they murder. And when Jesus amplifies the law and says, 
But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Is that so we all realize, as we were thinking when we were looking at the Beatitudes, that we're not sinful or to show us how much more we sin? If you've ever verbally or internally assassinated somebody, you are a murderer, according to Jesus. So the law comes in not to deal with sin, but to increase our understanding of how much we trespass. So here's the diagram. Sorry for the lurid colors. So in Adam, so this is kind of like time going along the bottom. We are all sinful. We are all condemned. We're all facing death. And when the law comes, it doesn't do anything. It just, has, it just brings about a group of people, the Jewish nation, who understand how much they sin. And from their history, we clearly see how much they sin. And we see how abounding God's grace is towards them because of his faithful promises to them. It doesn't make the Jewish people better than anybody else. In one sense, they do have the law of God, and they do obey it in some respects. But is the history of Israel a history of wonderful righteousness, no idolatry, no judgment of God? No. So why does Paul talk about the law? Well, if we were to go back to the Roman church in the first century, it would be mixed of Jews and Gentiles. The Jews had been thrown at out of Rome a few years earlier under the uh, Emperor Claudius, and they'd been welcomed back under the Emperor Tiberius. So you now had Jews returning into a church that was largely Gentile, with all the leaders in the church largely Gentile, and they were falling out over secondary things like what food you eat and how, what it meant to be really godly. And Paul is saying to return to the law as a principle of following Jesus does not work. The law just increases transgression. So, Jews, be careful how much you're looking down on your Gentile Christian brothers and sisters. Gentile brothers and sisters, be careful how much you're emphasizing your freedom from the law. Paul is saying there's a different power, a different way of living the Christian life, a different identity. It's not about being Jew or Gentile. It's about being in Christ. And so he's going to say in chapter 7, verse 4, and again, we'll look at this in more detail, likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. The law is not the way we live the Christian life. It's not just that we believe ourselves to be sinners and we think, okay, I, I'm, you know, I keep messing up. I know. I'll try really hard now to keep the law. God will accept me if I try really hard to be a good Christian, if I have a quiet time every day, if I have my memory verses, if I come to church every Sunday, if I... Now, those are all good things. Don't get me wrong. But we can subtly shift from trusting in our union with Christ and go back to law. And what will that do? It will mean that you become a proud Christian and you look down on other Christians at church because they don't quite keep the rules that you keep. They're not quite as sound as you are. You're becoming justified the Jewish way of being justified. 
Whereas Paul says, you know, there's no greater Jew than Paul. He puts himself in the same category. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We're not justified by law. He said that in chapter 3. And here he's saying we're all united, Jew, Gentile, whatever our background, in Christ. That is the power we need to live the Christian life. For hundreds of years, people tried to fly, didn't they? Uh, one of the ways was um, strapping some wings to their arms and trying to flap really hard. Or uh, sort of like sort of gliders. You know, have you seen those sort of pictures, those films of people running off this wooden platform into a lake and, and expecting to sort of glide and flap and they just go like that? Hilarious, but also rather tragic. The aerofoil was the answer. And once we've flown in a plane, we'd be rather foolish if we strapped a pair of wings to our backs and said, right, I'm off to Australia. See ya. We get in the plane. You'd think somebody who was in the plane, who's, who's just opening the door and thinking, well, I'm just going to give it a go. I think I can glide. We're about halfway. I, I can glide to Australia in my own steam. No, 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 you need to stay in the plane. We are in Christ. He is the only one who has the power to get us to heavenly glory. We are united to him. It is his power that enables us to live the Christian life. So the danger is that we look at our sin and we think, what's the solution? I need to try harder. No. We are united to Christ. Or to use a different image, you know, if we're fighting with sin, and you know, it's like a boxing match. If, if you're going to box, you need to put your guard up. You need to think how you're going to defend yourself. We don't just let our guard down and let, let the enemy have a go. The thing that protects us in our battle with sin is that we are unbreakably held by Jesus Christ. Our past is secure because we're justified. Our future is secure because we have the hope of glory. And we are now under the love of Christ, the love of God. That never changes. Our status never changes. We are united to Jesus Christ. It's from that we live the Christian life. And then finally, and uh, here we have another diagram coming up, we need to trust and understand that grace rules a Christian more than sin. In, in our union with Christ means we have a principle in us that is more powerful than original sin, than our, our nature in, in Adam. Look with me at verse 20. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul has been at pains to argue throughout this whole section that the principle, the new nature that we're given in Christ, the grace that comes to us from God through Christ, the righteousness that we are given as a free gift in Christ is more powerful than sin and death and condemnation. 
We sing about it. We sang about it last week. Uh, his, uh, uh, I've, I haven't put it down. I've just put the second part. How does it begin? His mercy is more. So our sin is something. Our sins, they are many. Thank you. His mercy is more. Uh, on to the final diagram as we uh, draw things to a close. Sorry for those of you who like symmetry. <laughs> but I was thinking, well, you know, Christ, uh, and we, we could have a dotted green line all the way back. You know, I'm not saying that there's no life in Christ in the Old Testament. But when Christ comes, those who are Jews are under the law, and those who are Gentiles are brought into a new life under their federal head, Christ. And that is secure. Because Jesus is our Lord, because he rules us, we have access into this grace in which we now stand. We will stand because it's God's grace, because of Jesus' justification of us in our past and the guarantee of future glory. We have eternal life. And verse 21 says, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life. See, the self-rule movement has swept our culture, and it should be obvious to us that the self-rule movement is very uncertain. Because self-rule relies on the feelings that I have in the moment now. And it's no wonder that mental health is now an epidemic. Because we're not designed to live on the basis of our feelings in the moment and allowing them to rule us. If we live in the present, it may be better than the anxiety of looking forward to the next few weeks or the next few years. It may be better than the anxiety or the inner turmoil of an abusive past or worrying about an uncertain future. But for the Christian, can we see that we have a past in which there was an event so significant when we believed in Jesus Christ that we now have an eternal secure future going on into eternity? It leads to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have a future that is ultimately secure, rather than, I don't know, free climbing. You, you see those climbers on, you know, I guess it's adrenaline junkies, and they you know, often die, sadly, but they do free climbing, yes? We're not free climbing. We don't have to grasp onto the rock and hold on for dear life. We are held by a rope that cannot be broken which means we are free to climb, knowing that if we fall off, he's got us. God holds us fast to be creative and adventurous and to be risk-takers. He has the belay. Eternal life is not just something for our future either, is it? It is something we are attached to now. I'm struggling to get across, I think, um, how significant I think this is for us living as Christians in our culture because we're bombarded by an identity culture, and we have the best, the most secure, the safest identity in Christ. We are in him. 
nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. There's nothing you can go through in life, not illness, not temptation, not relational breakdown, not unemployment, not Alzheimer's, not cancer. Nothing you can go through, if you're a Christian here, that will separate you from God's love. He's got you because we are in Christ. And so we fight sin and we live the Christian life from that truth, not justification. It's not to say that justification is not important, but do you know how many verses Paul goes through justification by faith alone, the propitiatory death of Jesus Christ? About 10 in chapter 3. He then spends four chapters talking about how that's always been the case for Jews, and then he outlines how the union with Christ that results from justification by faith alone means that we can live securely in our battle with sin. See, eternal life is, is, is beginning a new identity that will be realized. It's not shifting, like, depending on how we feel this week or next week or how we feel our Christian life is going. It's a life that is secure, certain, because God will make it so. Now, we, we need to work out how to live this as a community, as I close. I've got a friend, and um, I've got more than one friend, actually, but I do have one. <laughs> I do have the particular friend I'm thinking of. He, he's out planting a church in South Africa. We haven't seen him for a while, but he used to wear this T-shirt. He just had, perfect man. And then, in little words, under construction. If you're here with Christians, those who know Jesus Christ, they are all perfect people under construction. You wait long enough, and the person sitting next to you will be perfect in every way. Because they will be made like Jesus Christ, because they are united to him. And if we have confidence about that, we can be real about our sin and our struggles, can't we? Because we know that one day we will be perfect. We're just going through a bit of construction work. One day, the person next to you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their heavenly Father. They will be greater than angels. God has always planned to unite his son to these strange creatures called human beings. So if we understand our federal union with Christ, that the law doesn't have the power to transform us, that grace is more powerful, a more powerful principle in us, it is an eternal life that has begun now and will reach heavenly glory, we can have confidence with one another, to share our struggles. And we can have hope. Whatever we face, whatever we're going through, now wouldn't that be a much better identity to live from than one in which you're ruling yourself? Let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you have given us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have given us your righteousness. You view us as your own beloved Son. You have united us to him in your amazing grace and kindness to us. We will never be separate from you.
once we have been united to your Son, the Lord Jesus. We praise you that you've filled our hearts with a knowledge of your love through the Holy Spirit whom you've given us. You have given us a new nature that is more powerful than our old nature that we inherited from Adam. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us a gift that has begun and will last forever. 